Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You're listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Today, Today we're gonna we're going to revisit a topic that I talked about probably episode two, if you want to go all the way back. But this is very important because this is we're talking about the quality of that foundational aspect of data, right? Master data management. Okay. If you look up the definition of master data management, we're talking about the process that creates a uniform set of data on customers. Okay, talking about the quality by ensuring that identifiers and other key data elements are in place. All right, there. When we talk about master data management, uh, some of the use cases that I've searched, researched. If you just go on Google, right, you can research the same thing. But we're talking about employee data. Okay, having that foundational aspects of of employee data, customer information, reference data, uh, transactional data, those type of things. Okay, and I could if. When I when I did my research, I thought about the mail. Okay, I thought about the mail as 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 from a from a master data management standpoint. Uh, when I go out and I get the mail uh, from my mailbox, right, my townhouse that I have, I go out there and I I look in the mailbox and I see somebody else's name, right, somebody else's name on that mail, right. And and that person lived there, not not uh, not just they didn't just previously previously live there. They actually lived there probably about two I guess generations or so, if you will, like like back, right? You know, they they actually lived there probably. Uh, uh, they probably was the maybe the first or second or third person that actually lived in the house. And and to me, I'm thinking, man, why are they still getting mail to my house, right? If something must be wrong with the, the database, something must be wrong with the actual master data management. And maybe that's, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, but as you know, right, I don't know everything about data. Okay, I'm just data scientist, a model, I do deal with models, uh, deal with supervised, unsupervised learning, all that good stuff. But I brought somebody on, right, that can actually dive deeper and that can help us understand more about master data management and how it impacts the world, okay? I brought on somebody named Malcolm Hawker. Say hello, Malcolm. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you were right. The, the okay, incorrect good. name and address combination is absolutely <laughs> a lack of master data management. It's also a data quality problem. You, you could argue mm -hmm. because the data was not timely. It was it was correct at one point in the past, but it's not right. correct now, right? So one of the is that, right? You know, I don't know. <laughs> what's that? I, I was saying, I wonder whose fault is that, right? <laughs> uh, United States Postal Service. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, somebody, somebody, somebody could have sent that yesterday or last week, right, mm. and not had up-to-date information. So I guess you could say maybe uh, the, prob the, the, the source problem is somebody who didn't know that a previous resident is no longer at your address. But uh, the United States Postal Service should maintain an accurate connection between person and address. 
right? So that, that connection is absolutely a, a master data management problem, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's also a data quality problem, but MDM is, is all about maintaining trustworthy, accurate, consistent versions of data that are widely shared, right? So in the case of addresses, in the case of USPS, that mm -hmm. data, address data, mail data is shared everywhere, like literally everywhere. In, in the case of businesses, uh, shared data is the way I used to articulate it when I was a, when I was a Gartner analyst is I would show a three ring Venn diagram. So just imagine three rings, right? That, that overlap each other. Mm -hmm. The middle of the Venn diagram, that's master data. That those mm -hmm. rings could be a table, could be a database, could be an application, doesn't matter. But the data in the middle of it, where the data is overlapping and shared, mm -hmm. and it needs consistent quality, definition, structure, governance, you name it, that's the master data. So we're not talking about all fields, all attributes, all everything. We're talking about a significant subset of data, but it's data that needs consistent quality standards and, and ways of management. Man, that, that, that's amazing, Malcolm. And, and you know, I, I hate that I actually got ahead of it. You know, I wanted to make sure I introduced you because your story is important for the audience to understand. You know, I mean, you have you had a, a, a you have that longevity in the space to be able to say, hey, look, I know that I'm an expert in this field and you've been a thought leader in the field of master data management specifically and data governance and, and have consulted to some of the largest businesses in the world on the enterprise information management strategies level. Right. You know, yep. and and as the head of data strategy right now, prophecy, right, your, your mission is to raise awareness of the value of MDM, right? That's what we call master data management and governance to the senior leaders out there. And, and what you have done is so profound because a lot of people skip that process. I, skill, I feel like every organization in the world, if I can name an organization, they do not care about that foundational, that, that, that beginning piece, right? That, that master database, keeping that, that uh, what do you call it? that gold copy? if you will, right? <laughs> Keeping that, that yeah. secure, whatever it is. And it's so amazing to me. So tell them a little bit about yourself. Tell them how, how did you get into MDM? Oh, Focus on. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what a great question. So I kind of came up <laughs> as it were uh, from, from the kind of the business side, right? So I am not an engineer. I'm not a data scientist. I can't write queries. Maybe I if you forced me to, if my life depended on it, but, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a technologist. Um, I came up from the business side. So, you know, I've got, I've got a long history in, in software and in IT, uh, really kind of learned how things work from a business perspective and a software perspective and an engineering perspective. I, I did a 10 year stint at this little startup called AOL. Uh, <laughs> yes, there was this company called AOL. It was the internet on training wheels. <laughs> and we were proud of the fact it was the internet and training wheels. But I was lucky enough to be a non-technical person who was able to actually manage technical teams. Mm -hmm. So I had I had way back in the day, I had a team of 15 Java developers working for me. We were building out the 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 AOL the, the portions of AOL's advertising infrastructure, which oh, at man. the time which at the time were taking more handling more transactions than any other piece of software on the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, at that at that time now we're, we're talking like 1996 1997 um, but fast forward i did 10 years at aol i went to work for this little startup in austin texas i moved from northern virginia to, to, to texas which was an awesome move 
did a little time at a startup, was the chief product officer for this uh, for the software startup. Uh, that company ended up getting bought up uh, and, and kind of pieced off. Uh, and, and I found myself needing a job. And I went and did some consulting uh, to apply some of the things that I had learned being a product leader and being an engineering leader and, and being in a fast paced business. And I ended up doing this consulting gig uh, for, for, for a company based out of the DC area and where I was hired uh, to, to answer what I thought was a very simple question. The, the question was, how many customers do we have? That was basically the entire SOW. But my entire consulting gig was like, hey, help us understand how many customers we have. And I said, that sounds simple. Cool. It does sound simple. That's right. That's right. I'm like, this is going to be a slam dunk, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll build some, some, some reports and business objects. I'll, I'll maybe do a little bit of integration work. And this isn't me. This is me hiring some engineers as part of our consulting team. You know, you know, we'll, we'll do some of the ETL and, and we'll get some basic reports stood up and life will be good. And, and I'll move on to the next. And what I found out really, really quickly was, man, no, this is not that hard because that company had grown aggressively through acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And it was a B2B company with a B2C component as well. But the problems here are equally relevant across both worlds. But what we found was, was that they were doing business with Acme Incorporated, Acme LLC, Acme and Co, Acme and Son, uh, Beta Incorporated, uh, where, the, where the address of Beta Incorporated was the same address as Acme Incorporated. I was like, wait a minute, hold on a second. How does two, two companies have the same address? How does this work? <laughs> to make a long story very short, that that was like kind of my, my my gateway drug, as it were, to data and analytics, because I was I was fascinated with this paradox of how could something on the surface be so simple, but under the covers be actually really hard, mm. like really, really actually hard. And uh, what what I found was I ran into this what we what we now call it my current company this notion of a brick wall. I, I ended up hitting the, the, this brick wall and, and what we found and what so many other companies find in IT organizations is, is that you can't just focus on the pipes. You have to focus on the pipes and the water, mm. but, you but you don't own the water, right? Somebody in sales owns the water, somebody in finance owns the water, right? But you're, you're stuck right. answering this question of how many customers do we have? And no longer can you say, oh, well, not my problem because the source date is bad. Right. 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 Not, not, not my problem. I wish I could say that. I tried to say that it, it didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said that. I would have said yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but hey, hey man, I, I can't control, I can't control the source data. What am I going to, what am I going to do? I, I, I can't turn water into wine. Right. Well, fast forward, um, found myself in that consulting engagement, got hired on by that company, ended up running the IT organization of that company really, really focusing the entire time on data and analytics, data governance, MDM, learned a lot about MDM, bought some MDM software, uh, and, and kind of fast forward from that, ended up working for a data provider called Dun & Bradstreet, which is in essence, a giant master data management database. It's, it's a reference yeah. source of information about companies and people, but to build what they build, it, it requires in essence an MDM, which we'll talk about a, a little bit more. Went to go work for uh, Gartner as an analyst, so I was, I, I was having conversations every day with CIOs and CDOs and VPs and directors and data and analytics roles, had over 1500 conversations over a three year span when I was a gardener. So kind of know what's going on and what's not going on. Now I'm in this role with Prophecy. My, my, my title in essence is MDM evangelist. 
Mm -hmm. uh, what, what we find is that there are people who live and breathe in data and analytics and really don't even understand what MDM is about and the value that it can bring mm -hmm. for organizations. I agree. Our, our biggest competitor what, for what we do. So we make MDM software, master data management software. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. and, and one of our biggest competitors, if not the biggest competitor, is do nothing. We don't need it. We don't have a problem. We'll we'll mm. improve our, we'll improve our ETL. We'll just go throw it all into Databricks. Life will be good. What do you mean? <laughs> right. So my job is to raise awareness about the importance of MDM, how it can drive value for organizations, sharing information that I know over a 25 year plus career of being in this space, share the information that I gained while I was an analyst about what's working, what's not working from a best practice perspective, share information that I know about MDM vendors, about how data quality fits into the equation, how data governance fits into the equation, share information about, you know, how to, how to bear traps to avoid along the way, right? Uh, sharing information about what's hype, and what's real. And we can talk about all that stuff today. I'm, I'm excited to be here. No, I, I mean, I, that is amazing. Your story is very amazing because uh, a lot of people don't understand that, uh, you know, just because we know something is a skill set at the end, right? Right now, right? Our specialist that we have right now, I could say I'm a data scientist, but my story is, is so important because I've gone through all these different like possibilities, right? You know, possibly uh, being being able to say, hey, look, I could have been an engineer or I could have been a, a business, you know, specialist or I could have been, you know, uh, I don't know, working at McDonald's somewhere, right? You know, but uh, everything drives you to where you are today, right? You know, every goal and step, you know, I'm very interested in understanding, you know, what made you say MDM? Right. Was it like the quality? Did you say was it one day you said, man, you know what? I hate uh, I hate the fact that the quality of data was a problem everywhere or something that specifically said. Did, did, do you remember that day? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, <laughs> um, it, 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 it gets back to that paradox that I was talking about, the notion of something sounding simple, but being hard. Mm hmm. There's a, there's a few things that kind of led me to it. One is, for whatever reason, I have this kind of perverse attraction to focus on things that other people don't want to focus on. Mm. Maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe I love the on, underdog, I, I, I don't know. But <laughs> it was, okay, every people, so many other people have said that they've tried it and failed and they can't make it work and that there's no value there, it doesn't matter. And then I look at the companies who, who, who've got it figured out and are doing it well, and they are killing it. Uh, and, and because they have that, you, you use the word when, when we first started talking foundation. It is absolutely positively a foundational element, right? The idea of having, having information about your customers that is trustworthy and consistent and accurate and fit for purpose. That's, mm -hmm. That is sitting at the core of just about every interaction you have with a, with a corporate entity. Right. Mm -hmm. it, I, I would challenge the notion that there's any interaction that you would have that doesn't involve that data. So right. whether you are checking into a hotel, whether you're buying something on Amazon, whether you're calling a customer support line, you want to you want to feel like you are known or you want to feel like they know your history. You want to feel special. And everybody can tell a story about uh, about when that experience was good 
right? Like really good. Like they, 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 this company treated you like a king, right? They remembered you from the past. They remember what you ordered in the past. Maybe you've had a waiter at a restaurant that remembered you and remembers what you what you like or what you don't like or how you like a drink, man. But everybody also has probably more, sadly, more stories about uh, bad experiences, like right? mm. when they don't remember who you are, when you call the customer support line and they they don't they don't know about the active ticket that you have open that that's driving you crazy because you can't make it work. So that all of those things together, the tie, the common bond there is data. Yeah. Right? It, it, you also use the word kind of glue. And I was like, oh, man, OK, this makes a lot of sense. And it's universal. It's, it's mm -hmm. universal. There isn't a company out there that's not wrestling with this stuff. You're right. And for whatever reason, I seem to have a knack at telling stories about it. I seem to have a knack at being able to interact with engineers and understand how engineers think. I seem to have a knack about being able to interact with senior level people with relatively big titles. And it doesn't scare me. Um, maybe this is an area that I should double down on. And it, it, it I, I had about an aha moment. Um, it would have been around 2006 where I was like, I need to run to this space. I, I, I need, I need to run here because everybody's running from it. Mm -hmm. And, and I want to be the guy running to it because if I figure it out, I can help a lot of companies and I can help myself. I'm not going to lie. A part, a part of this for me is, is that there weren't in my, from my perspective, a ton of subject matter experts in the NBM space anyway. And I like, I like being the smart guy in the room. I'm not going to lie. Right. Um, I, I, I like, you know, being able to, to, to focus in areas where other people are, are, are not focusing. So that's a little bit of my origin story and a little bit what, what why I'm here. But uh, yeah, not a great story, Malcolm. I appreciate you breaking that down for us. And when you look at like prophecy, right, you know, the company that that you're working with right now and and understanding um, I, I, I looked at the if you just look at the website where right? you go to prophecy dot com e r o f i c s e e dot com and you and the first thing you see is says break through the brick wall that is your bad data right you know and I'm like oh my goodness bad data right means bad decisions <laughs> you know immediately immediately right bad data means bad decisions immediately that that's what I think about and so when you think about bad data it has to can you imagine, right, that that MDM, that master database, that, that master uh, database, right, having uh, bad data, right, in it, which it happens all the time, right? You know, are you all how how are you using that to help customer make informed decisions at Prophecy, and do you see that all the time in use cases, right? Now? Uh, see it every day, literally every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you you some of, some of the things that you just shared it made me think of a common acquaintance of ours uh a gentleman named scott taylor calls himself the data whisperer and he's got this line and, and this line that he says all the time is uh good decisions made with bad data are just bad decisions you don't know about yet right, <laughs> right? Very true. And, and 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 it's absolutely true so this notion of a, of a brick wall yeah, it's a little bit of a marketing slogan, but it's actually quite real from the perspective of companies want, they say they want to digitally transform. They say they want to revolutionize their customer experience, right? 
what we've seen coming out of the pandemic, a lot of companies say, mm, okay, well, we want to have more direct to consumer experiences, right? We don't want to rely on intermediaries or resellers or distributors. We want to have a direct experience there. And the, and the kind of the, the quintessential use case of that right now is Nike, right? So two mm. years ago, Nike was 10% direct to consumer sales. They were mm. heavily reliant on third parties, heavily reliant on big box stores and other retailers. As of as of next year, Nike will be fifty percent direct to consumer. Now you can't mm. you can't make that kind of a business pivot without knowing who your customers are, without having a rock solid foundation of information about customers. Now, right. I talk to a lot of custom companies every day that say, "Okay, that's what I want." Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm like, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's customer data. It could be your supplier data. Another classic example we're seeing in the world right now is, is supply chains being disrupted left, right, and center, right? Mm -hmm. And and I, I see company databases with supplier names in it where it's Acme, Acme Inc., Acme Co., Acme LLC, three different <laughs> firms, three different prices, um, three different legal agreements, and it's all the same thing, and it's not optimized, right? You, you don't have optimized pricing. You're not even having bulk pricing because you know you're, you're buying a million things but each of those agreements make it look like you're only buying 250,000 of something. So your pricing isn't optimized. So I talk right. to these companies and they say, okay, well, we have this goal of optimizing our supply chain or optimizing our customer experience. And then they say, okay, well, we're just going to go in and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll build a report mm -hmm. and problem solved. We'll build a, a 360 of our suppliers, a 360 of our, of our customer data. And yeah, it's, it's a little siloed, no problem, but we'll, we'll pull it all together into a, into a data warehouse pick your flavor, doesn't matter, right? And, and we'll use some BI layer. Again, pick your flavor, doesn't matter. Burst, click, Tableau, business objects, uh, you know, Power BI, doesn't matter. Right. They, they do that, right? And then they look at the reports and they're like, oh man, it, what's wrong? Something's broken here. I've got Acme, Acme Inc, Acme Co. And I've got Joe Smith, Joseph Smith, JJ Smith, Jeffrey Smith, and they, they look kind of the same, but we're really not the same. And yeah. how in the world are we going to optimize our experience with Acme Incorporated if we're not even quite sure what we're looking at here? That's the brick wall. Right. That's, that's, the, that's the marketing slogan, which is, okay, um, yeah, we just spent a lot of money on ETL uh, software. We're, we're mm -hmm. able to move data around. We just spent a lot of money on a BI layer. We just spent a lot of money on a, on, on a data warehouse. Uh, and our reports look worse than they've ever looked before because mm -hmm. <laughs> right? maybe before all of those reports were just sitting in individual silos, right? They weren't, or all that data was just sitting over here, over in the shelf and you didn't really know about it. And you, you thought that your problem was a lack of integration, right? You thought mm -hmm. that, that that was your problem and we just need to put it all in one place and the problem will be solved. And you can spend a lot of money to solve for that problem and still have right. the core problem related to a, a, a lack of, 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 you know, MDM. So, that's the brick wall. See it every day. Companies buy, end up buying our software to help solve for that. But as you rightfully pointed out at the beginning, MDM mm -hmm. is, is not just about software. It, MDM is a noun and a verb. It's software. You can go buy it. Yes, we'll happily sell you the software. But it's first and foremost a discipline. It's a way of managing data, right? It's people, process, and technology deployed to create and maintain that single you know, trusted source of data. Notice I didn't say version, a single version of the truth. I, I generally prefer to, to, to stick with single source of the truth because there can be different instantiations of it. We can talk about that a little bit more, but yeah, we see the problem uh, every day and the way to solve it is technology 
and people and process. I, I definitely want to talk about some of those, that principle, right? That process you're talking about, you know, and then that, that probably leads into like best practices, right? But where you're at right now, you're, I guess, what you would call yourself a data strategist or, uh, yeah. you know, related to CDO leadership, you know, for that organization, Prophecy, you know, what does that role entail? Right. On a regular basis. Right. You know, if if you're sitting there, you know, you know, if you could walk us through like the day in the life of that, you know, and do you have to do you need like a whole team of people under you or working with you with that as well? Some. So in in essence, my my role is an evangelist. I'm literally a cheerleader. I I, I get paid to be a cheerleader for MDM and I'm making this out a little pithy, but. (laughs) <laughs> what I'm trying to do is to raise awareness of, of the space, raise awareness of the solutions, raise awareness of our company. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what we see now is that uh, particularly the younger you are, the, the more likely you are to prefer to interact online with brands and get information about software, get information about best practices. And you don't want to be sold. You don't want to talk and have a telephone conversation, old classic, you know, well, how much software do you want to buy type conversation? Right, right. So we know that 75% of, of B2B buyers and software buyers are, are, are engaging and deeply engaged um, with brands online well before they ever get into a traditional sales situation well before they will ever kind of get into the 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 sales funnel of 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 a of of a software company so my day-to-day is having uh interactions with professionals through podcasts through right i write blogs um i i am on linkedin a lot i am creating uh content that we can post online so that if people have information about what's mdm how do i get into mdm how much is it going to cost man, I really need uh, some help with doing an RFP. I wonder if there are some templates out there. I'm trying to build mm-hmm. a business case. I wonder if there's, so all of that stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm helping create content. I'm helping provide best practices. I'm, I'm being basically an asset to the industry about how to do MDM well. Um, and what we believe is that, you know, the phrase I always say is that we, we believe the rising tide will lift all boats. And if I'm, right, if I'm lifting the tide of the value of MDM, um, then people will want to come to uh, my company and come to me for solutions around this. So, yeah, I suspect that me being out there and, and, and raising awareness about MDM could potentially, you know, other people could go buy software from one of our competitors, but that's, that's, that's just life, right? You got to be online. You got to be out there. You got to be present. You got to have a voice. You got to have a story to tell. And in the B2B world, that's increasingly LinkedIn. It's increasingly podcasts and awesome podcasts, just like this one. It's increasingly other social channels because that's where people want to get their information these days. They don't want to get it from some cheesy sales guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing that if people understand how to solve the MDM problem, right, it could change so many different organizations and companies, right? If they pay more attention to that quality, the quality of that foundational you know, a database or so that foundation, the data that's there. I mean, like we talked about employment data, you know, yeah. just the mail in general. Uh, if that was a major priority, I mean, I think that it would change so many lives, right? I yeah. Could, couldn't agree more, but I, I mean, I got to be honest here. Data and analytics people in IT roles like myself, we, we MDM is not well adopted. It's not well used and it's not well leveraged, but we largely have ourselves to blame, I would argue for this, because, <laughs> because for years, 
for years and years, we took some very old school approaches to this. Mm -hmm. Meaning what we did was, is that we looked at our data and we said, oh, we don't have a single version of the truth, right? We don't have a single version of customer, employee, product, asset, location, P pick the object. It, do it, it doesn't matter. There are plenty out there that are fall into that realm of shared data that I was talking about before. So we mm -hmm. saw the problem, right? And, and we realized the problem. And then we said, okay, how do we fix the problem? Oh, we have a single version of the truth. We need a, we need a table for customers that all applications and all business processes and all databases and all reports defer to, right? The, the, the gold master version, as it were, right? And for some companies that worked, but most it didn't. Because some companies that are maybe making like jet engines or rockets or maybe medical devices where you get something wrong and people could die, for some mm -hmm. companies that, that level of kind of rigidity and, and thou shalt consume this data no matter what. Right. Uh, for some companies that can work, right? If you're sending people to the moon or if, you're, or if your products where, where the specifications are, are slightly off, where, where planes could fall out of the sky, then, then chances are pretty good the way you operate and your operating model and the way you think about things is very, very specific, very, very rigid and, and very, very structured around how you manage data and how you manage processes. But for most companies, this idea of a single version of the truth, kind of you have to consume this customer data or else it just doesn't work. And we, we tried it. We tried it for a long time. So how this manifested itself is data analytics people would say, oh, OK, we've got a master data problem. We've got lots of duplicate customer records. So we need to fix it at the source. Right. Sounds like it makes reasonable sense. So we need to fix this at the source. So, okay, let's sit down and go talk to people in sales and say, oh, hi, um, yeah, uh, you can't create new records in salesforce.com anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll create all those records in this central data hub over here that will, be that will have very, very specific rules that we're going to define. And chances are that finance probably defined and probably really don't meet your needs, but this is how it has to be because we can't run a customer 360 report and the CEO says we need to. All right, all right. <laughs> so that, that top-down approach and trying to tell sales what to do, uh, particularly sales, there are other departments that don't, don't respond well to, to top-down mandates about how to manage their data. Because ultimately what you're talking about is not managing data. What you're talking about is managing business processes, mm -hmm. right? Um, the data is just an output of that. It's like exhaust out of the car. It's like telling somebody you have to drive a, a two-door you know, 1985 Honda Accord, whether you like it or not. Right. So we tried that and, and sales said, we tried it generally through, you know, heavy handed approaches to software, stuff like Siebel, a few other things that we tried like in the, in the, in the, in the, in the early nineties and the mid nineties. And, and then organizations said, no, this doesn't work for me. Um, I'm going to go buy this thing over here called soft, uh, salesforce.com. I'll subscribe to it. It doesn't cost that much money and I'll turn it up. Right. So I would argue that democratization of IT, at least from an application perspective, was in part, not a, not entirely, but in part a reaction to heavy handed attempts by CIOs to manage the data accuracy within their organizations. And yeah. the top down approach didn't work and it drove mm -hmm. users to go do whatever they wanted to go do and buy their own software. Right. So, right. And now we're back <laughs> in a place where it's like, OK, how do we do both? Meaning. How do we allow for kind of a centralized data management? How do we solve for the problem of you know, how many customers do we have? If the CEO is asking, there can only be one answer, hard stop, right? How do we do that? 
but also allow those business units to have a certain amount of flexibility to manage their business how they want to, right? Mm. Because the way that sales looks at the world is generally through the lens of, you know, who's buying and that's correct for them and it's accurate for them. But how finance looks at the world is generally through the lens of who's paying, right? Who's using a product versus who's paying for the product. And those are two very, very different things. And they could both be considered a customer, right? Where how sales defines a customer is very different than how finance or legal or even compliance could define a customer. And they're both right, right? So how do you, how do you solve for that? Right. How do you allow both of those versions to exist at the same time in, 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 in harmony while mm -hmm. at, a, at a higher level, right? Kind of from a hierarchical perspective, how do you also solve for the fact that there can only be one answer if the CEO asks how many customers you have? That is a long winded way of selling the value of MDM. It, it can allow for very flexible, fairly complex and configurable business rules for how you define things to allow you to create these trusted sources of data without actually getting into the business of being, unless if you don't want to, of being really heavy handed and top down in data management. No, and, and, and that makes me think about like, I don't know if you heard of explainable AI, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the thing right now that's going on, uh, it's been going on for a while now, but being able to explain the algorithm of this AI uh, that's out there, right? This artificial intelligence, this model that's been built, right? How do you explain the end result, right? You have a loan application. How do you explain you've been approved or denied? Why, right? The the, the real question, why? And so it gets me thinking, man, that master database is so important, right? That, that, that master data management portion, that foundational piece is probably the most important piece right there that you can even imagine. And for some reason, we kind of bypass that, right? You know, we're creating all these other different aspects, and we haven't chipped away at the the the, the foundational piece. You know, it's it's amazing to me. And so, you know, going into that, right, analytics and MDM, why is that so important? You know, have you so, in your opinion, they're starting to mesh a lot more, right? Analytics, MDM, a lot more, better better than ever. You know, and because you now have this three hundred and sixty. Uh, I guess, comprehensive view of the enterprise data and you know, you're getting critical insights into that master database or master data uh, management portion, you know, to improve product productivity, uh, you have efficiency, you have positive financial like outcomes, you know, in place uh, because of that, you know, why is it important? You know, what's your thoughts on analytics and MDM? I mean, I don't know how you, can produce accurate, consistent, trustworthy analytics for any company that is, let, let's say, you know, medium size and above, right? I, I don't know how you can produce accurate, consistent, trustworthy, scalable. That's another big thing here. Without having MDM as a core discipline within your IT organization. I don't know how you do it, right? The short, the short answer of how you would do it is you would duct tape it. You would, you would figure out some kind of human-driven way, very manual way of linking Joe Smith and Joseph Smith together. I guess that's the answer, right? And, but even then, you could argue that that's some form of, of MDM because somewhere somebody would have had to have written a business rule that says, if you see Joe and Joseph, right, uh, then, then link them together. Right? We, we used to, we used to right. do this way back in the day like with these like ridiculously complex ETL scripts. Right. Like just just goofy complex, like one guy would stay up, you know, writing a stored proc for like three days, 
that, that, that buried all of this stuff. Like, okay, if the first three letters are the same and the name and the first four pieces of text are, are, are on address are the same. If, 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 and, and that's kind of how we would do MDM way back in the day with rubbing two sticks together, but mm -hmm. it, just, it wasn't scalable, right? It, it, it just wasn't scalable because it really, really tough to store those fairly complex business rules, not to mention configurable business rules. Cause if you want to change the rules, you, you've got to, you got to push back in the day, we were pushing new code, right? Um, or then the guy that wrote that, that ETL script leaves, right? And you're like, how, like what, how, I, I, well, where, where's Bill? You know, how does this even work? Why am I looking at what I'm looking at in this report? Well, I don't know, go back to Bill. Well, Bill's not here anymore. You're like, oh man, okay. So scalability is, is, is an issue. So um, analytics and MDM, you know, they, they, they are peas and carrots, right? MDM is sitting the foundations under, underneath analytics. It, 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 it makes me want to scream because I hear all the time, right? And it's just sales pitches and I get it, right? And you know, software vendors are, are, are salesy and they're trying to sell like, but like vendors that are out there selling like data warehouse software and, and they're saying things like single source of truth, right? Mm -hmm. Like all you have to do is just put all the data into one bucket, manage permissions appropriately, good to go. Mm -hmm. No, if it were that easy, we, we we would figure we would have figured this out thirty yeah. years ago, and it's not that easy, because solving for MDM and solving for data quality is not just an act of plumbing databases together. It's not just an integration act, right? Yeah. It, is data, it is inherently a data management act where you are applying these rules that say, okay, if Joe and Joseph, you know, maybe they are the same because the address matches and the phone number matches and a whole bunch of other attributes that you use to consider whether something is one thing or two things match. Well, then you're, you're, you're good. But that that requires a lot of business rules that optimally should be configured, right? Mm -hmm. Which are not buried in some sort of ETL scripts that, that optimally should be configured because they could be configured by business rules. Maybe mm -hmm. you've got a healthcare use case where you can't be wrong, period. Right. You cannot be wrong. Maybe you've got a sales and marketing use case where if you're wrong, nothing's going to happen. You send the wrong offer. Maybe you send the wrong piece of snail mail to the wrong address. It's not optimal. Um, mm -hmm. but you're not going to get sued and you're not going to break the law. Right. So that's what I mean by configurability. Right. Like you, you could have sitting at the core of MDM engines, everything I've just been saying, there's this notion of what's called entity resolution. Right. And, and, and by the way, it would use some fairly complex AI and ML to do it. Right. Sitting underneath these things. Um, these these kind of these distance algorithms and and, and soundexes and these other algorithms that if things sound the same or the, and 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 how far is text apart from each other and anyway mm -hmm. it relies on that sitting at its core to make relatively educated guesses as to whether entity one and entity two are one things or two things and to do that is actually a fairly computational pro intensive process because you have to evaluate every potential pair of data. To, to, uh, right, right. To, to, to figure out if these things are, are, are related or not. Um, I'm get, kind of getting off on a tangent. There are some pro, promise out there of like using graph and, and potentially other types of processes here, maybe using a graph as a kind of a first pass to figure out where there may be relationships between data and, and maybe the kind of the strength of two nodes in, in a graph and a knowledge graph could be used as a proxy for, for matching. But this mm -hmm. is some complex, difficult stuff. But at the core of it is, is business rules because software doesn't write itself and it doesn't configure itself. Getting right. back to the explainable AI thing, right? Like how do you explain how, how it works? Well, in my world, you explain it with data governance policies that are literally written down and that somebody has signed off on, 
right? Mm. How stuff works. Because if you can't explain it for those use cases that I was talking about, healthcare, finance, um, government sector, uh, large three-letter agencies, right? Like if you can't explain why that red button was pushed, then mm -hmm. you're going to be in a problem. You're going to be in a really big problem. Right, right. No, absolutely. You know, and I appreciate you breaking that down. So, you know, I, I, I do not want to hold you. Usually the audience knows that I, I like to end with what I call a dope nugget at the end of the day. And for me, uh, it's really about summarization, right? Summarizing everything, all the points. And what I've learned from you today, Malcolm, is that, you know, there's importance, there's an important and, and, and benefits of that master data management process, right? MDM, you know, and efficient Master data management gives an organization like that single place to have, I guess, an authoritative view of the information, right? You know, you, you feel confident that this information is really valid because that MDM is there, right, in place. Uh, is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? This is the dope nugget. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, for me, for me, it's, 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 it's arguably not so dope, but it's relevant. For me, uh -huh. for me is that if you're trying to solve for some of the problems that we just talked about, mm -hmm. right? Like if you've if you've been tasked, if you are maybe you're a data architect, right? Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe you are, uh, maybe you're even just an engineer. Maybe you're a data engineer, database administrator, and somebody says to you, "Go go fix this broken um, report," mm -hmm. um. And you need to try to get support to do that, whether that is hiring somebody to help, whether that's hiring some consultants, whether that is getting money to buy software, whether it's even just convincing somebody that you need to allocate time out of your day to, to go do this. Mm -hmm. the, the dope nugget is, is nobody cares about data quality. Ah. Nobody cares. So if you try to use data quality as a justification and improving data quality as a justification for solving the problem that we just talked about, right? If you try to use that as a justification, you're going to fail. Mm. So what you need to do instead is to find a way to tell a story through the lens of business, business impacts or business outcomes. So mm -hmm. two different sides of the same coin, right? Cost, benefit, impact or outcome. The impact could be, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we want to be able to cross sell more or we could drive two million dollars in incremental revenue uh by by highlighting situations where we're selling product a to company mm -hmm. a but we're not selling product b and that would be a case where the product data doesn't match up or we want to be able to lower our customer support cost by one million dollars a year by reducing the number of times that the, the clients have to call uh, uh, because we don't have a single source of truth for information about their, their, their tickets or whatever it is, right? Put, put the problem in the lens of the business. Try to build a story around the lens of business impacts. The business can't do A, the business can't do B, the business can't do C. And all those things ultimately should, in a perfect world, be tied to a strategy that somebody with a big title really cares about. Stuff that's probably being talked about in your company all hands. We want to be we want to become customer centric. Okay, we cannot become customer centric because we are unable to do A, B, and C. And I have a, I have something that can help here. Deliver the revenue that you're talking about. Deliver the customer experience you're talking about. Lower the corporate risk that you're talking about. And let me tell let me tell you a story about how we can do that. Mm -hmm. But don't walk into somebody's office and say our data sucks and we need to fix it. Don't do yeah, that. Yeah. 
I like that. Hey, look, I like that, Malcolm, because I I want to focus on that, even with the company I work at now, right? NetApp, right? When you're doing the sales, right? You know, you're not focused on products. They're like, focus on the business, right? You know, focus yeah. on that customer outcome. So that's amazing, you know. All right, time for the fun stuff. All right. All right. Real quick. All right, I like to play a game at the end. The audience knows it's called Overrated, Underrated. I got it from a mentor of mine. His name is Gary V. You know, so I like to... Uh, 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 ask the guests, you know, a serious, I'll throw out a series of topics and you get to choose whether you think it's overrated, underrated, or right where it needs to be. You can <laughs> All right, let's do it. You can explain it if you want to, you know, if not, we can go on to the next one. All right, ready? Yep. All right, time. Time, like the passage of time? Yeah, yeah. Right where it needs to be. Okay, okay, okay. All right, money. Overrated. Overrated. All right. Football. Way overrated. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Way overrated. Man, man, having that background in Texas, man, that's all they care about, well, football. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I, trust <laughs> me. Yeah. I just knew you were going to say underrated. All right. Social media. Oh, way overrated. Overrated. Overrated? We have to, I mean, as, as business people, you know, yeah, I hate I, it. I'm there. I do it all day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The printer. <laughs> printers are overrated I, I i went digital a long time ago i, I hate that stuff. all right ice hockey oh underrated yeah i spent my i'm, I'm canadian I'm, I, i've spent my oh. 25 years in canada that, that's kind of like yeah like football man hockey oh yeah <laughs> all right trampolines oh probably probably overrated probably mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, last one, snow cones. Right where they need to be. Right, yeah. Right, right where they need to be. I think they're appropriate for the age, but yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hey, look, thank you. I appreciate you being on the Data's My Science podcast. Thank you all for listening to the Data's My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I'm your host, Dapper Data. This has been an amazing experience. Audience, please, please tune in to this because – uh, you will learn so much about that foundational piece that we talk about as far as data. You know, where can they reach you out, Mal Malcolm? If there's anything they want to uh, discuss with you, LinkedIn. I'm. I'm. Uh, even though I said social media is overrated, I was really thinking of the Instagrams and Facebooks. And yeah, the, and TikToks of the uh, TikToks of the world. But I'm on LinkedIn, and there are like Malcolm Hawker, M A L C O L M. If you if you if you get the Malcolm right, there's like three of us on the whole planet. So the chances <laughs> are really good you're actually going to find me, Malcolm Hawker. We'd love to connect on LinkedIn. If you listen to the podcast and you still got questions about MDM, you've got questions about data governance, defining mm -hmm. a data strategy, whatever, hit me up on LinkedIn. Right, right. And as you know, audience, you can follow me on any one of uh, the social media platforms at Mr. Dapper Data, any one of those social media platforms. Uh, definitely subscribe to Data's My Science podcast. Uh, the link will be in the bio. The, the the link will be in the show notes. I also post a lot of Malcolm's information in the show notes as well. Um, and is there anything that you're promoting or anything like that right now, Malcolm, any conference or anything like that that you want anybody to attend? Uh I'll be giving a presentation in, at the uh, DGIQ, Data Governance and Information Quality Conference in DC. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in the it's in the Marriott, uh, JW Marriott in DC, the first week of December. And I'll be giving a presentation on um, blockchain and, and its relevance to data management and how blockchain will literally transform 
uh, data management and data governance. So if you if you if if you're in the DC area, you're coming to that conference and you want to learn about how blockchain is gonna is gonna change the world of data management, and data governance, come mm -hmm. meet me. All right. Well, hey, thank you, Malcolm. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you, audience, for listening in. And until next time, peace. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Data Is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data.